John chapter 11 is our text this morning. We're going to read verses 38 through 44 if you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, whatever you have. If you would turn there, please. And I'll ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word here this morning. John chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask now that the promise from your word would take hold, that as your word goes forth, it will not return to you void without accomplishing the purpose for which it was sent. Speak to us in these next few moments, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I read a story about an elderly woman named Narina. Narina lived in Miami, Florida. When a hurricane hit, that area, her home, was among one of the many that was severely damaged. Norena received an insurance settlement, and the repair work began. However, when the money ran out, so did the contractor, leaving her an unfinished home with no electricity. Norena lived in her dark, unfinished home without power for 15 years. Now, the hurricane that destroyed Narina's home was not a recent storm. It was Hurricane Andrew. That was back in 1992. She had no heat in her home when the winter chills settled over South Florida. She had no air conditioning when the summer temperatures soared into the 90s and the humidity hovered around 100%. She did not have a refrigerator, hot water, stove, oven, lights, television, radio, computer, nothing. Without money to finish the repairs, Narina just got by with a small lamp and a single burner. Her neighbors didn't even seem to notice the absence of electricity in her home. One day, the mayor of where she lived, acting on a tip, got involved. It just took a few hours by work by an electrical contractor to restore power to Narina's house. CBS News reported that Narina planned to let the water get really, really hot and then take her first bubble bath in a decade and a half. It's hard to describe the feeling, having electricity, she said. It's overwhelming. Now, that's incredible, isn't it? Can you imagine what it would be like to live without electricity for 15 years? Now, some of you have, perhaps when you were of a certain age, a senior adult, maybe you were raised on a farm or someplace where they didn't have electricity when you were born, or our grandparents maybe did not have that when, when they were born, but, but not today, right? 
I mean, if our lives are turned upside down and we moan and groan and complain and we get angry if the electricity is out for 15 minutes, much less 15 years. I mean, if we're in that situation, we would do something about it, wouldn't we? I mean, we would not intentionally, purposefully, and passively live in the inconvenience and squalor of a home without electricity, would we? I mean, we would call for help, wouldn't we? We would demand that someone do something, wouldn't we? We wouldn't suffer in silence and do nothing, would we? Or would we? And don't we? You know, I've been backed into twice. And I got a little damage on my car. My wife, she asked me one day when I was going to get it fixed. Well, you know, I'm busy. You're busy. We're all busy. And time passed. And you know what? I've kind of gotten used to the, to the damage fender. I don't even think about it now unless someone brings it to my attention. How many situations and circumstances occur in our lives that, do, that we do little or nothing about simply because we've gotten used to it? There was a woman a few years ago. Her life was a mess, and she met with a, with a counselor. And, and after a little while, the, the counselor realized that, that the source of the woman's problem stemmed from, emo, from emotional and verbal abuse that she experienced as a child. And she'd become so used to that abuse that it became a normal part of her life. She couldn't live without it. And all the while, it was the abuse that was the source of her problems, her pain, her suffering, her hurt, and her heartache. It may be abuse. It may be anger, bitterness, jealousy, resentment. It may be guilt or fear or failure or illness. It may be sadness, divorce, death, or some kind of situation or circumstance or emotion that has negatively impacted our lives and frustrated us, discouraged us, and beaten us up to the point that we've done nothing about it or we've given up and we've accepted it as a normal part of our lives. The situation, the circumstance, or the emotion has become so common to us, so big to us, so strong to us, so, so solid to us, that it's almost like a stone in our lives. Here's what I, I want us to think about this morning. Before healing, forgiveness, hope, and change, and transformation can occur in our lives, those stones must be removed. We read the last bit the last portion of one of the greatest miracles Jesus performed during his earthly ministry. Just a short time before his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, Jesus displayed his power over sin and death and hell and the grave by raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. But before Lazarus was raised from the dead, did you catch it? The stone that covered the entrance to the grave, which housed his dead body, first had to be removed. And I believe in the same way. There are some stones that have to be removed in our lives in order for Jesus to do his greatest work, the work that we want for him to do and the work that, that we need for him to do in our lives. For the dead to be raised, the stone housing the dead first must be removed. Well, we know the story in John chapter 11. Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus. He became seriously ill. His sisters Mary and Martha sent word for Jesus to come quickly and to heal their brother. But you know that Jesus didn't come. In fact, as Bruce noted, he intentionally waited two days. Why did he wait? Well, he said earlier in John chapter 11, this sickness is not, end, is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of, my, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. 
Now, how often do we view sickness or trouble or trials or difficulties as an opportunity for Jesus to be glorified by them? How often, if ever, do we say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I lost my job. I thank you that my car broke down. I thank you that I was in this accident. I thank you that I got cancer. I thank you for this problem so that your glory can be declared in the midst of it. That's not my prayer. Plus, when have we prayed and we've asked for the Lord to heal an illness or save a lost loved one or answer some honest, heartfelt, sincere request and it seems as if nothing happens? And we wonder, Lord, do you hear me? Lord, don't you care? Lord, aren't you going to, to do something about this? God hears and God responds. But he responds in his will and way and in his time, but always... Always for his glory. Our responsibility is to keep asking and seeking and pleading and believing and trusting. Now, we also need to remember that, that Lazarus lived in a town called Bethany, which was in the region of Judea. At this time in Jesus' ministry, it would have been dangerous for him to return to Judea. In fact, some of his disciples, uh, Thomas said, you know, let us go so that we may die with him. Because in Judea, the Jewish religious leaders were already seeking to kill him out of fear and jealousy over his powerful preaching and teaching and miracles, which had led many to believe in him. Of course, Jesus, he was not afraid of the Jews. He wasn't afraid to go to Judea. He wasn't afraid of anyone because God was in control of his life and his situation and his ministry, and nothing was going to happen to him until God said so. So Jesus explained to his disciples that Lazarus had fallen asleep, and he must go to wake him. And his disciples mistakenly thought, well, great, if he's asleep, he will recover. So Jesus plainly told them, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. By this time, Lazarus had been dead and in the grave for four days. So Lazarus must have died shortly after Jesus was asked to come. And of course, as the Holy Son of God, Jesus already knew that Lazarus was dead. There was a Jewish belief that the soul remained near the body for three days after death in the hope of it returning to it. So after four days, here's the point, all hope was gone. Lazarus was dead and that was it. There was an acceptance of the situation. He was dead and what, what does that mean? What does that mean? There's grief, there's mourning, there's sadness, there's loss, there's pain. It was over for Lazarus. Life would never be the same for his family, his friends, and his loved ones. And along with grief and mourning and sadness, there came doubts and questions. Why did this have to happen? Where was God? Why didn't Jesus come when we asked him to come? Why, why didn't he do something? What will I do now? How will I go on? Those doubts and questions lead to certain cold, harsh realities and facts. They lead to stones. Well, there's nothing that can be done about it now. It's too late. It's over. Deal with it. Get used to it. It'll never be any better. We've encountered those kinds of stones. The prognosis is not good. We're not sure you're, you're going to make it. We don't think you're going to get any better. We're finished. The marriage is over. Too much has happened. There's no chance for forgiveness. There's no chance for healing and reconciliation. That person or that situation will never change. It is hopeless. When's the last time you used those words? It is hopeless. 
He is hopeless. She is hopeless. My family is hopeless. My marriage is hopeless. My kid is hopeless. The first step in removing the stones is not to accept the situation as it appears to be. Why is that? Because of Jesus Christ's power to do all things, to remove the stones and even to raise the dead. Well, when Jesus arrived at that funeral, the grief in the morning were in full swing. Many friends had come to console Mary and Martha. And when Jesus showed up, word spread quickly. And Martha came to meet Jesus, but Mary stayed behind. Martha was undoubtedly glad to see Jesus, but she was probably a bit confused, frustrated, perhaps even angry and hurt. She said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Sound familiar? Haven't we uttered the same accusatory words to God. Lord, if you'd done something, if you'd intervened, you could have prevented that accident from happening that killed my father. Lord, if you'd done something, if you'd got my husband to the hospital sooner, he could have been saved. Lord, if you fill in the blank in your life. But Martha tempered her confusion, her frustration, and hurt with a sense of hope. Even now, Even now, I know whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Notice that when Jesus came to Lazarus' funeral, he offered no excuse or explanation as to why he was apparently late. Instead, he spoke words of comfort, encouragement, and hope to Martha. Everything's going to be all right. Your brother will be okay. I'm here. I've got things well under control. And Martha knew that fact in her head. But her heart probably had a hard time coming to terms with the reality of the situation. Her brother was dead. She loved him. She missed him. She wanted him back with her. Now, not later, not sometime in the future, not in the great by and by. Isn't that the way most of us feel when we are grieving and mourning the death of a loved one? We love them. We miss them. We want them back with us. We want to see them again and talk with them again. That's the natural reaction to death. But Jesus not only gave words of of hope and encouragement And comfort to Martha, he declared the truth about himself. I'm the resurrection and the life. Life is in me. Whoever believes in me will live forever no matter what happens to them. They have eternal life. Then Jesus asked Martha the most important question that we can be asked as he looks for a response of faith. Do you believe this? Do you believe what I'm saying about myself? Do you believe that I am who I claim to be. And that's the same question that Jesus asked of each of us. Do we believe that he is who he claims to be? That, that life now and eternal life are found only through a personal relationship of faith and love and trust and obedience to him? Are we living out that kind of faith, belief, trust, and obedience to Christ in our everyday lives, in our words, actions, and attitudes? Keep in mind that Jesus said these words before his death on the cross. He's talking about being the resurrection and the life. He's not been to the cross yet. His words made a whole lot more sense after he had died and after he'd risen from the dead. His followers would know then beyond a shadow of a doubt, absolutely Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he gives life. 
Martha declared, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And Jesus wants to hear and see that same acknowledgement, that same proclamation of faith from each of us. We have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, that he is the Son of God for the stones to be removed in our lives. Why is that? Why? Why is that important? Because Jesus Christ is life. He's not a life. He is the life. And it's that life that removes the stones and raises the dead. So what happened next? Martha got her sister and brought her to Jesus. Mary repeated Martha's accusation to Jesus. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. The Bible says that when, when Jesus saw Mary crying and the Jews who came with her were crying, he was deeply moved in spirit. He was troubled. Now, this was no quiet, gentle shedding of tears. It would be something like loud, hysterical, wailing and shrieking. From the Jewish perspective, the more unrestrained the weeping and mourning, the more honor that it paid the dead. Jesus asked, where's Lazarus buried? Where have you laid him? When he came to the tomb, the whole situation around him, the, the grief, the mourning, the hurt, the, the crying, the reality of death, all the results of sin touched him. And perhaps it caused Jesus to be sad but also angry to the point that he wept because of the lostness of humanity and the darkness that blinds people's hearts to the truth of God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and salvation. Oh, that we would have the gift of tears. The gift of tears for those that are lost, those that are hurt, those that are unbelieving, those who, who don't know Christ and therefore they have no hope. They are as good as dead people. One aspect that makes our God unique is that he chooses not to stand apart from our suffering, but he chooses to move into our pain, that he suffers with us. The Bible reminds us the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. When Jesus came to the tomb, he made a simple yet profound announcement. Remove the stone. What? Martha protested. Hold on, Lord. My, you know, my brother, he's been dead it's four days. If we open the grave, you know, it's going to smell. There's going to be a stench. It's going to stink. Makes sense, wouldn't it? Well, think about this. Removing stones can be uncomfortable, messy, smelly, difficult, perhaps even scary and embarrassing. And chances are, you and I will come up with all kinds of reasons, objections, or excuses for not doing it that seem perfectly rational, understandable, and logical. There's just one problem with it. Faith often is not reasonable nor logical. Think about the times that we delay or we hesitate or, or we simply refuse to be faithful and obedient to what we know the Lord wants us to do. I can't apologize to that person. Even though I wronged them, even though I shouldn't have put that up on Facebook or even though I shouldn't have said that, I can't apologize. I can't ask for, for, for their forgiveness. That would be difficult to do. That would be embarrassing for me to do. I can't tell that person about Jesus because they might not be my friend anymore. They might not like me anymore. I can't, I won't, it doesn't make sense, I'm afraid, it won't work, it's a waste of time, on and on and on. When Martha raised questions about removing the stone, Jesus reminded her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? 
Removing the stone is our act of faith that opens the door to allow Christ to bring healing and hope and forgiveness and freedom and change and transformation into our lives. If the stone is not removed, there's no raising of the dead. Do you think about that? If they hadn't removed the stone, would Lazarus have been raised from the dead? That's why we must act on faith in Christ for the stones to be removed because Jesus Christ responds to our faith in him to raise the dead situations and circumstances in our lives. So the stone covering Lazarus, the tomb was removed. What did Jesus do next? He prayed. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he prayed, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Aha. Notice the focus is on much more than simply performing a miracle to raise Lazarus from the dead. The purpose of Christ's coming to heal Lazarus is the same purpose for all of his preaching and teaching and miracles, as well as the same reason that he comes to us and works in our lives to elicit our faith, to cause people to believe in him, and to bring glory to God. Those three things. He works in our lives. He does miracles in our lives. He teaches in our lives to elicit our faith, to draw others to him, and to bring glory to himself. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Notice that Christ's call was specific and personal to Lazarus. I mean, if Jesus would have said, come forth, well, every dead corpse in that cemetery might have come back to life. Christ's call in our lives is specific and personal to you and to me, to our situations, to our circumstances, to our particular stones. When Lazarus walked out of that grave, he was still wearing his burial clothes. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. In other words, get rid of all that all those dirty, filthy rags of, of sin and hurt and heartache and pain and suffering and death. He's been set free. When we trust Christ to remove the stones in our lives, he sets us free. We are washed. We are cleansed. We are forgiven. We get a new set of clothes, a pure heart, a renewed mind, a saved soul. And here's the point. After the stones are removed, then, then, comes resurrection, then comes life, then comes hope and healing and change and transformation. I find the reaction fascinating to what was maybe Jesus' greatest miracle. The Bible tells us that many of the Jews believed in him. Well, I'm surprised that not every one of them believed in him, aren't you? But some didn't. I mean, a, a man's dead. He comes out of a grave. Jesus raises him from the dead. How can you not believe that he is who he claimed to be? Some didn't. In fact, we're told that some went and told on Jesus. They went to the Pharisees. Sometimes we see the Lord do something mighty and awesome and great in someone's life, and we think, boy, oh, boy, that'll draw them to Christ. That will change. He'll change his ways after that. That will lead her to faith in Christ. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. And therein lay the decision and the choice that we make regarding our stones. What are we going to do with them? Leave them alone? 
because they're too big for us? Or because we've gotten used to them? Or will we allow Christ to remove them? We give them to him. Remember, remember, there's no resurrection, no healing, no hope, no freedom, no forgiveness, no change and transformation unless the stone is first removed. Just a short time later, Jesus went to a cross. He died and he arose from the dead to remove once and for all the stones that frighten us, frustrate us, enslave us, embarrass us, discourage us, defeat us, anger us, hold us back, drag us down, and will eventually kill us. He not only removes the stones, but he brings his power and his presence. He brings his healing and his hope, his forgiveness, his life, his resurrected life, new life, now and forever. As we enter a new year, what are you doing with your stones? You're going to let them stay there? Or are you going to turn them over to Jesus and trust Him to remove them so that you will have freedom and peace and joy and life? His life in this new year. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I don't know about anybody else but myself. But Lord, all of us are walking around today as broken people. We're broken by life, by sin, by situations and circumstances that have discouraged us and disappointed us and hurt us and defeated us. And, and Lord, we've said, ah, oh, it's okay. We've said it's not a big deal. We've said I'll be all right. We've said I'll get over it. But the truth is, we aren't. Lord, I pray today that we would get honest with you and allow your spirit to speak to our hearts regarding the stones in our lives, stones that are holding us back, from being all that you have called and created us to be. Lord, I pray in this year that we would surrender and submit to you and begin by giving you the hurts and the heartaches and the pain and the suffering and, and the things that are holding us back and give them to you and experience your power and your presence to remove those stones so that we may have healing and hope and your power and your presence and your strength in this new year. Lord, grow us in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray and for his sake that we pray. Amen. We thank you for being here. Be safe. I wish you all a very happy and blessed new year. You are dismissed. Thank you.